your weekly fix of Asian music. This is Asian Pop Nation. Welcome everybody to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. How are you guys doing tonight? My name is Leisha, by the way, the executive producer of APN. Let's go through the songs that we played just now. Starting first with the latest comeback to come from Hyuna, we have the song titled Navirera. And the second song that we played comes from TXT or Tomorrow by Together, whatever you want to call them, featuring Ian Dior with their song titled Valley of Lies. Now, if you're new to the show, do not worry. It is not just going to be me talking. We have a full APN team that, of course, we got JP, Tracy, Xenia, Ethan, Lee, and Aaron tonight, who are going to be coming in together to talk through all of these very interesting topics we have tonight. We've got two food topics. Of course, we do. One involving an unmelting ice cream. Another one to do with Filipino food coming from an unexpected source. We also have a lot more interesting topics. We got an interview from actor John Cho that our team decided that we wanted to dissect a little bit because he presented some interesting points. And of course, if you're somebody who keeps up with sports world or specifically the figure skating world, this news may not be a surprise, but we are also going to be talking a little bit about Yuzuru Hanyu's latest news and loads more in between. We've got a full variety, if I do say so myself, here on APN, so be sure to stay tuned. And of course, most importantly, we have our full stack music that we have for tonight, starting right now with this song coming from BTS member J-Hope with his latest song titled Arson, coming from his new LP, Jack in the Box. Warning though, this song does contain some coarse language, so listener discretion is advised. Other than that, sit back, enjoy the show, and let's get it started here on Asian Pop Nation. Hey, you're listening to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. My name is Lisha, and let's talk through all these songs that you just heard. We first played the song titled Arson by BTS member J-Hope, coming from his new LP, Jack in the Box. We then also played a collaboration track coming from Boy Cold, Soma, and Woods with their song titled Fine, which comes from the new album, Daft Love. We then lastly played another new solo comeback track from Hyorin this time with her new song titled No Thanks. A very good phrase that maybe some of our team members will be echoing when we talk about this specific topic about an unmelting ice cream that took the Chinese medicine world by storm, if you will. And maybe for some of you, this may sound like a dream come true or a nightmare even, but Maybe take a listen to what we have to say about this ice cream and maybe your opinions might change. Roll the tape. So anyone who knows me will know very well that I love ice cream. I will go to the top of Mount Everest and gladly eat a tub of ice cream, which is why our first discussion for tonight has got me particularly excited because it's about a luxury Chinese ice cream brand that has shocked netizens online when they found out that this high-end ice cream doesn't melt at all, which is perfect because... I like ice cream, but I don't really like mousse because to me, mousse is just like melted ice cream. So this sounds like the best solution to a very difficult problem. You see, it plagues my mind 24-7. And it was discovered in July through several viral videos across the web, which shows that 
their sea salt coconut ice cream popsicle is directly exposed to fire by a lighter or even a blowtorch, but somehow remains unmelted. So if anything, these videos showed how instead of melting, the popsicle would just start to char and turn brown. Now, that, that kind of sounds problematic, um, but in other videos, ice cream would actually retain its shape despite being left outside at room temperature for over 50 minutes. And I guess I wasn't the only one concerned because consumers have said that when the ice cream stick was lifted up, the ice cream itself was shown to have a molten globby texture. Okay, so in this video where an online user was using like a blowtorch to test ice cream, the one I mentioned earlier, they said how only after a very long time, the popsicle was able to produce just a single drop of liquid, but it would only occur at a point where the rest of the popsicle was visually blackened from the surface. Now, the company for this popsicle has made several statements, well, two in fact, regarding this viral situation, firstly stating the unscientific nature of experimenting their ice cream by heating it. So you know, fake news, everybody. Um, but <laughs> well, not fake. I'll just say that it's not, you know, the whole academically not academically cited, that's for sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, peer reviews. Unscholarly sources. Mm. Exactly. You know, you need to make sure you've got those 20 references and to meet that rubric so you can get a By HD. God, yeah. Yeah. So just by the nature of their experimentations on TikTok, it's very unscientific. But they also mentioned that their products are able to retain its form above zero degrees as they contain very little water. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but to everyone out there in this virtual room right now, would you try this ice cream? Yeah. First, I'm not the biggest my, fan of uh, sea salt coconut, but yes, JP. Yeah, I think um, I'd do it, but I'd have to sign my will first. Well, they're not saying people died eating this ice cream. I feel like I would die. Oh knowing God. that it doesn't melt. <laughs> yeah, dude, this this thing is probably like 50% plastic. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it does kind of melt the same way plastic does, if uh -huh. I'm honest. Right. But it's edible. People aren't complaining that it's not tasty. That is true. <laughs> you don't hear the number one thing people are shocked about. It's just like, oh my god, this tastes bad or anything. It's probably people being like, oh wow, this is like quite good. But like, why is it not like melting at all? Even though it's been holding in my hand for like the past hour or something. That's where like everyone's- That is- Dude, that stuff. is- so sus i would not eat that maybe that's <laughs> i was gonna ask actually but alicia you kind of answered how it could have happened why people are burning their ice cream to begin with like <laughs> what yeah. must have happened in order for you to think you know what this is strange i need to get my blowtorch and burn this ice cream yeah maybe it's the sea salt coconut you know what maybe if they did a different flavor perhaps it melt more <laughs> Do you just My hate God. sea salt coconut? <laughs> look, look, I'm not the biggest fan of salted things on sweet things, you know? Oh, like okay. salted caramel and yeah. You can't really just, salt coconut either. Coconuts are really a strong flavor, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's very ocean, oceany. <laughs> ocean. It tastes like ocean in my mouth. <laughs> and you know, the water beats fire, so oh my I God. guess <laughs> maybe that's why it doesn't on? melt. <laughs> 
But for something that is very oceany, it doesn't have much water, as the company said. So I suppose it's kind of counterintuitive. But unscientific, what would make a study with this ice cream scientific? Bro, you, um, a guy in a lab coat. But who would fund that research? Holding his no little, one. like, yeah, that's a, yeah, no one. Who's going to test this? <laughs> Actually, you know, this reminds me of, um, you know, those Facebook videos that compare uh, real ice cream versus fake ice cream. And how the, have you seen those? What's fake ice cream? Yeah. I, I don't know. Fake it, ice cream? I, I, it might, dude, it's it cake. turns black. That is sus as hell. That's not real. Didn't know you could burn ice cream. Yeah. Oh my God. Touche. But I mean, like, you, you do have, um, like, you can get blowtorched ice cream, right? Like, you, they serve that sort of thing. At restaurants, don't they? Like fried ice cream? What fancy ass restaurants have you been going what to? Are you Wait, talking really? About? Wait, you've never heard cream. of that? No, fried ice cream is like frozen piece of ice cream that's like deep fried with batter on it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what Lee said. Are you implying that this ice cream popsicle is deep fried? <laughs> Deep fried, in fact. <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, but like it, it reminds me of that sort of ice cream. Yeah. Now that it reminds you of something that is edible, would you try and eat it without oh the wafer? Oh my god! Oh my god! I have no idea. Um, I think either way, if I was to eat this, I would need to be paid. Yeah. Kind of reminds sure. me of like marshmallow over like a campfire, but then there's right, like, yeah, that are like. I like mine really burnt and it's like black and then the Really? Oh, oh yeah. Controversial yeah. opinion. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Lee, you like your marshmallows? No, 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 no. no. That's okay. sick. That's wild. <laughs> Wow. Okay, all the listeners who like their marshmallows just like charred. Canceled. Like, they're, they're like, leave. Now, it's now over you can for have you. ice cream that's charred. Yay! Oh my god. <laughs> just what they wanted. That's what the marshmallow burnt people wanted all along. He's like, you know what? As they were sitting around their campfire, you know what would make this better is if this was ice cream. And there you go. It's messed up, bro. <laughs> but any other thoughts? Isn't there a thing called an Alaska bomb, which is like technically ice ice cream, but you like light it on fire or something? Or do they make that oh, up in my clip? No, mentioned. like that does exist, but I feel like isn't it's burning because there's like meringue or something like over mm. it or something, some sort of like cream or whatever. I'm not a master chef, so I don't know the technical term, but I know it's not the ice cream itself that's like burning. It's like the cream of it. Yeah. <laughs> wait, actually, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, if it doesn't melt, how does it melt in your mouth? Yeah, what's the it texture? It. You just bite a it. Lie. The enzymes. It's all a lie. Chunks. <laughs> what? Oh, I mean, some people like to, like, bite the ice cream, don't they? Rather than, and then just, like, no, oh, my nom. teeth are sensitive. No. <laughs> oh, and by, when I say I some people, that. that mean me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a mix. Iron. You need to like 75% kind of bite or 50% bite and then like 50% let it melt. Yeah, I yes. like I like to let it melt in my mouth. Oh, yeah. I just go all the what? flavor comes out. That's how the flavor comes out. Maybe Lisa. this ice cream melt. only melts within your mouth. I don't know. How does it detect that? Like <laughs> micro nano machines? I'm oh, we're in the mouth. mouth. Let's melt. Who knows? Who knows? We're That's not why it's scientists. so expensive. That's oh why it's prestige shape heats the robots inside. It's the nano machines. I knew it. Kojima was right. Food is food. That's all that matters. <laughs> Not this one, Aaron. <laughs> this is plastic. Is this if this food is the question? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Aaron. Sorry, what did you say? I said I'll still eat it. That makes one of Man, us. Aaron, you'll eat anything. <laughs> no, I meant the ice cream. Yeah, that makes one of us. <laughs> what is it? Yes, I'll have it. Yeah, do it in my steed, please. I can't do it. <laughs> we'll just watch your reaction and monitor your like state and well-being yeah. for the next 24 hours. 
hours. Love me. <laughs> Hell yeah. But if you're gutsy enough to try this ice cream, you can always let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. And yeah, your predictions as to why it doesn't melt. Oh, <laughs> We'd like to, like to figure that one out too. Hey everyone, you are listening to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. We just played three incredible tracks, if I do say so myself. <laughs> First, we played the song titled Risk It All by Malaysian artist Yunam. We know we love her here on APN. This comes from her new EP Y3. We then also played another song coming from a Filipino artist this time. Her name is August Wa with her song titled Blurred Lines. And then we lastly end things off with a song called Love Inside by Pictured Resort, which comes from their new LP titled Once Upon a Season. Now, of course, here at APN, we're always playing new songs coming from across the globe. And we are going to be going across the globe here to talk about this very interesting discovery we saw of IKEA stores in the UAE, of all places, serving Filipino food in their restaurant menu. It sounds like a very interesting concept, not gonna lie, it was a bit like out there, but when you think about it the and the reasonings behind why they created this menu actually comes out a bit wholesome. So be sure to listen to this whole story with us right now. Uh, Mabuhai, welcome to Asian Pop Nation. The reason I opened with that opener is because earlier in the year, IKEA stores in United Arab Emirates actually introduced some uh, special Filipino food on their menu for the first time ever from May 24th until the 26th. So that was earlier in the year. However, it's back. The Filipino food is back from July 19th until July 24th. So this very special menu is called the best of Filipino cuisine restaurant menu. And it was in three stores across the UAE and featured dishes such as chicken menudo, Filipino style barbecue chicken, and bistec tagalog. So for people with more of a sweet tooth, there were also other things like a buko pandan and leche flan. That's really good leche flan. So... According to a statement by IKEA, this menu was created for the Filipino community, actually, in the UAA, like uh, expatriates, for example, as well as for the locals to get a taste of Filipino cuisine. But yeah, uh, Filipino food in IKEA, dude, that's crazy. What's going on? Yeah, no, no but anyway, this is, um, this is very surprising to me. Um, why in the world is there Filipino food in the Swedish store? in the united arab emirates what is going on it really feels like just a randomizer doesn't it yeah that's crazy <laughs> what is it well i mean like the thing they said about um catering to some of the expatriates i think that's that's a pretty good move because a good deal of filipinos do in fact go to united arab emirates to find work and dude they bring in the dough in that place like you get like you get so you get so stupidly rich working at the united arab emirates so um it's a pretty good business uh move on ikea's part uh xenia there is a xenia there's a website that shows a bunch of the food in the uae ikea stores were there any dishes that uh brought back memories for you Buko pandan. Buko pandan. My heart. Yes. Yeah, that's sweet. One of my pandan. favorite Filipino di- uh, desserts, along with halo halo. Halo halo? Yeah. yeah. Wait, explain to the folks at home what buko pandan is in case they don't know what that so, is. So, buko is 
Filipino for coconut. Mm -hmm. And then pandan is like the pandan leaves. So we extract the pandan uh, leaves into and make them into jelly. Oh. So then we mix the pandan jelly and we get shredded buko, fresh buko, and then mix it up with condensed milk and you get the best combo ever. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah, Filipino sweets, they do have their own unique flavor. Um, so yeah. A lot of it's Lots very of coconut. Sweet. Yeah, really sweet. Mango like or coconut. <laughs> mango, coconut. I know they have lechaflan here as well. And um, for those that don't know what lechaflan is, it's like a really, really sweet sort of it's like pudding but also jelly like i don't know how to explain it but it's it's like a jelly-like pudding and it's sweet as hell and it's so good um but yeah those are some of the dishes that were on the ikea menu um for anyone else here if you've had the opportunity to look through the dishes on the ikea list are there any dishes that have struck your interest well i initially had like a question that i wanted to ask oh yeah sure Filipino representatives. Of yeah, KPN. I represent all Philippines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you and Zenia, perfect representation. We've <laughs> been waiting for. I just wanted to ask because, like, I found it so interesting that, like, from IKEA's perspective, they created this menu thinking of both like the Filipino community that exists in the UAE, plus also um, just local people in general. And mm. I just wanted your two, both of you guys' expert opinions if you think this menu perfectly fits for like those two. I guess different different types of consumers or do you think they should have included like another type of dish or like yeah i don't know No, it's perfect dude i'm looking at these photos right now and if you didn't tell me this was ikea like if you said oh this is just some street food in the philippines i go oh yeah yeah that's that's about it that's what it looks like so uh good job ikea so it's like living up to the standard. Yeah, it's living up oh. to it, man. Yeah, they got it. Zenia, you agree too? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of surprised to find bistik and manuro, but yeah, I for those that I'm guessing this is appealing to a lot of Filipinos in the UAE. So it's a good mm. taste of home that's a bit beyond like the typical street food you'd find in the west or Mm -hmm. yeah no like the way like this doesn't look how how do you say it It doesn't look like appropriated or anything it looks like legitimate filipino food you know that's nice yeah it is nice yeah it it is oh my god (laughs) tracy i mean are there any dishes you see here that are that are you know making you drool um barbecue chicken that that looks nice oh yeah filipino i don't know man i'm just gonna go through and name things and people on the radio (laughs) are just gonna be like i can't that. <laughs> well, oh, actually, I don't know if this is unique to the Philippines, but the way Filipinos barbecue their meat, uh, it's super good. Like whenever, like when it's done, there's a sort of sweetness to it. It's kind of caramelized in a way, but it's also it's really tender as well. So that's a Filipino barbecue. Try that out if you ever run across it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll keep that in mind. Yes, please. Please do. This is really interesting because I once read like a super kind of cursed article about how basically IKEA in, in IKEA in Korea it was seen as this sort of like because IKEA is like known for being like very Swedish. And yeah, it is. Being like pretty much the same thing all around the world. Mm-hmm. And so in Korea, where they're used to having panchan, like banchan, like um side dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, what they would do at the IKEA in Korea would um they would get like the hot dog topper onions and sort of have that as its own side dish and they called that like Costco kimchi. <laughs> Costco kimchi. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it just made me remind me of this. And it's interesting right. because this Costco kimchi thing only really works because IKEA is so like, westernized, you know, it, like uh-huh. if it had been more localized to the Korean taste, they would have offered actual like panjan. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they don't is why they, this Costco kimchi thing exists. So um... it's nice to see that like IKEA, you know, trying to localize to the like, you know, local expat population. I imagine it's like, is it like all of your all of the United Arab Emirates or is it just like one specific community where there's like a ton of Filipinos? Um, oh, hmm. oh, it's specifically three stores. Yeah. What I've stores. read. Yeah. So not every single one of them, but um, a good amount of them. I suppose. Yeah, that makes more sense. Like, mm. I can imagine, like, these communities being quite small, uh, like, isolated sort of thing. So it's nice or, or, like, centralized in, like, certain places, like, certain yeah, industries. Exactly. You know, you'll find Filipinos everywhere. Yeah. But, yeah. Nice to give them a little taste of home. Oh, yeah, fuck. dude, this, like, it looks really nostalgic. This sort of food, I feel like this is the sort of thing that could make a grown man cry. Like, you know, they're away from their family for, like, five years. They haven't seen their kids in ages. Yeah. yeah what a, a wholesome way to end this discussion. Very, JP. very wholesome way to end <laughs> this discussion. So, if you happen to live in the United Arab Emirates and are also Filipino, or actually, you don't even have to be Filipino, uh, go to Ikea check out the filipino dishes uh but if there are any filipino dishes that you happen to like as well let us know on facebook twitter and instagram at asian pop nation hey welcome to sin media and i guess specifically welcome to asian pop nation a very very special show here on sin which focuses on all things asian pop culture music and just everything across the board. My name is Lisha, and let's talk through the three songs that we played just now. First, we played this song titled EAT or Eat by Divine Channel featuring Millie and Omega Sapien, coming from the new LP titled Unorthodox. We then also played the song titled Pastries by Hong Kong band The Royal Le- Leisure. And lastly, we played the song titled Be Sweet, the Korean version by Japanese Breakfast featuring Young. Some of you who may be big into indie artists may see this as a beautiful collaboration so i hope this song like made you guys a little bit happy to hear it but yeah something which also personally made me a little bit happy to hear was when news came out that the roger and hammerstein's cinderella musical was making its way to melbourne and even though we are talking about it right now and the musical has since left the Melbourne Shores and is now going to other states in Australia, we still wanted to talk a little bit about it because it did spark a little bit of an interesting conversation, I feel. So be sure to listen into our APN team right now as we dive a little bit in depth in like casting directions and things along that boat when it comes to the musical world. So let's go. If you're someone who kind of frequents the Melbourne CBD area, you may have seen some banners, advertisements like plastered on trams and stuff, for example, of like tons of shows and musicals that are happening in Melbourne at the moment. And the one that I particularly wanted to focus on a little bit is the Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella musical. By the time this episode does air, however, the Australian version of this Broadway musical would have already ended in Melbourne. So not the best with timing right there, but it is moving towards Brisbane and Sydney for the rest of the year. So I don't know if you're looking for some holiday plans could go over to those places and 
get a ticket for the show. I, I was like dying to watch the show and then I ended up missing out because I was all the way in Malaysia. But let's not talk about my pain and let's get more in depth about this musical and why we're particularly talking about it on this show. One is I came across this particular article that was done by Refiner29. They were interviewing the lead role of Cinderella in the Austrian production of Roger Hammerstein's Cinderella, who is Shubshiri Kandian. And in the article, I'm going to quote it right here. She is considered as one of the few South Asian women who have portrayed Cinderella on stage. And while I do recommend you guys take a look at the interview, it's like very nice, short and sweet. And she like kind of details her life leading up into doing musicals and representation in like Broadway world. I also did want to talk about how this musical kind of like the existence of this musical happening in Melbourne brought me back to an old movie I used to watch when I was a kid, which is also called Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella. But the 1997 version, where you can actually watch it on Disney Plus if you want to, this film was a made-for-TV film that was co-produced by the one and only Whitney Houston. She's also there as the fairy godmother in the movie, fun fact, and also stars singers Brandy as Cinderella, love her to bits, and also Filipino-American actor and singer Paolo Montalban as Prince Christopher. Again, watch the movie if you can. It's one of my comfort movies Ooh, ever. Yay, oh Pinoy God. Pride. <laughs> is it better than all the other Cinderella adaptations that you may have seen, Leisha? You know how oh, there's like a oh Cinderella no, story. There's so many. And there's like ever after. There's too many. I got like it'll take me like 20 years to do like a whole ranking of everything. How about Cinderella. the one with Camille Cabello? <laughs> last <laughs> ranked last for a reason and you've seen a movie you know why but but yeah i particularly just thought this whole deep dive about the roger hammerstein's cinderella in its musical form and in the film form which making its effort to like have a diverse cast made me want to point this question to our team of what do you guys think about seeing traditional white centric fairy tale stories like Cinderella kind of diversifying your cast? That's my first question. I do have a second question, but I wanted to pose this main one to you guys. Leisha, do you know what the reason was that they diversified this cast, or was it just like a casting choice? I, mean, I guess in the musical sense, I wouldn't know like too much because it's like the Australian production version. I don't really know if they done it as well with the other um, musicals that exist in like America and stuff of this Broadway musical. In terms of the film, oh, there is this whole thing on Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't like. I don't remember it word for word, but. I know they filmed that 1997 film. It was like a conscious effort that they did want to like diversify the cast. I think the term is they did like colorblind casting. So if you watch like the film, you'll see like, oh, Whoopi Goldberg. And that one guy who acted in Legally Blonde as like the really terrible lawyer guy at the end of the movie, very niche reference like Whoopi Goldberg and that guy are like the parents of the prince and the prince is obviously Filipino and Whoopi Goldberg and this male actor who plays parents none of them are Filipino but yeah the, my main question is just I guess what do you guys in general think about this like choice in casting in stories like these I just want to say that like race blind casting is way more popular in theater than it is in let's say television and other sort of filmed things it's not unusual to have 
like race blind casting because typically they would cast whoever is like the best singer or like the theater community has always been quite multicultural even in because it's always been concentrated in you know cities it may be compared to the general population it's always been a bit more multicultural compared to the general population and it's always been a lot more um i guess progressive politically compared to the, compared to the general population yeah that's that's how cities are in general right like they're like yeah. they're they're the central melting pot people from everywhere go there yeah exactly mm. so it's not like surprising that they would race like they've been casting stuff race blind for a long 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 time you have broadway stars who are people of color and they have mostly done roles which are not written for people of color because surprise, surprise, a lot of musicals aren't written specifically for people of color. Rumor, like Stephanie Shu was in the SpongeBob musical. Are there Asian people in SpongeBob? Not really, but it's a SpongeBob musical. Like, <laughs> dude, it's just SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, like to a certain extent, music theater is not super discreetly racialized. I also think it's because you can get away with a lot. Well, I'm not you can get away, but I think if you're in a theatre audience, it's a lot harder to kind of focus, like hyper-focus on the different actors. Because when you're acting on stage, you have to be a lot more um, verbose and vocal so you can project your, uh, your, your facial expressions to a larger crowd. But with, with a screen medium, you, it's, it's a lot more close-up, so you have to... I think an audience might be able to nitpick a lot more. I don't know what I'm saying. No, and no, no, I get it though. And the because um the setting's different, right? Because mm. like yeah. with with theater, it's a little more abstract in the way you approach it. Because when you watch the people acting, it's not like you're literally in their world. It's like you you can you know they're actors on a stage. Yeah, and yeah. there are props there, so you go, okay, yeah, these, this is just a reenactment of some sort. But then, when you go into movie ter- territory, they focus a lot on like making the setting, like making it feel as if you know this is a real place, right? And I, I think that's where people get a little more nitpicky with casting choices. If you get my drift, you yeah, get what I mean. Is more like you have to suspend your disbelief more if you're going to. Mm. See yeah, it, yeah. You are uh, sort of playing make believe. Yeah, more than a movie audiences, mm. and also like theaters. Theaters will like switch out their cast. They have understudies. Um, in Korean musicals, they do double casting and triple casting for almost all of their musicals, for example. So like, all the roles will be played by like two or three different actors. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do that as much in Broadway, but they still do understudies. So yeah, th- there's less of that idea of an actor like having to fulfill the character. Um, like having to embody the character that actually mm-hmm. just has to sort of i don't know perform as the character rather yeah than be yeah the yeah if that, i don't know yeah that makes sense i guess on that note let us know listeners what you think about this um interesting conversation we have especially in like theater world and like casting choices people make in the theater world maybe if we have some listeners who are actively in the theater industry That'll be very cool too to hear from your perspective. Do let us know all of your thoughts and more through our Asian Pop Nation social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Welcome to everyone who's listening to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin, and maybe welcome back to some of the listeners who have been listening to our show for quite a while now tonight. Welcome everybody. Nonetheless, let's go through these songs that we played just now. First, we played this song titled "The Blue Heart" by Babylon, featuring DOK2. We then played a new song coming from Thai artist Serious Bacon with their song titled "If I." And lastly, we played the song titled "Luxury" by Bohan Phoenix, which comes from his debut album "Cities Are for Fools." Now we are moving towards a favorite portion of the show for us here at APN. It is our little request highlight section here, where we take song requests that were picked up by our listeners and played them on our show here. If you're listening to our show for the first time and don't really know what's going on. It's okay. I'll explain it for you right now. We pretty much have a special segment here on APN where you can message us through our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and send us some song requests that you have in mind, and they just put get put here on our little show right now. Tonight we're going to be highlighting two songs which are requested by our listener Matthew. Thank you. By the way, we will first be playing this song titled "Kono Yue Tomori" by Pinky Spice. So uh, let's jam into all these songs together here on Asian Pop Nation. Hey everybody, you are tuning into Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. It's me, Alicia here, coming in to talk to you guys about these songs that we played just now. We first played two songs, which were requested by our listener Matthew. Thank you, by the way. We first played the song titled "Kono Yube Tomore" by Pinky Spice, and secondly, we played the song titled "Fantasy" by Lyrical School. And then the third song we played actually is a B side from Korean girl group Itzy from their new album Checkmate、um, slash Sneakers. I don't know the concept; it's still a little bit confusing for me. But we did play one of their B sides called "What I Want," and yeah, now we're here on our show, and we're gonna be talking about a topic which I'm personally a little bit scared to introduce. Maybe it's a good thing that the segment's coming in later in the night because we're gonna be talking about a horror movie, a Taiwanese horror movie. In particular, that has caught the attention worldwide because some people have been considering it as the scariest horror movie to watch this year.、Um, and maybe you guys can be the judge of that after we give some of our thoughts, specifically JP giving some of his thoughts about the movie Incantation.、Um, Listener discretion is advised, though, because we are going to be talking about quite scary concepts and stuff like that. So turn down your volume, check out some of our other sin content. If you know this is not your particular cup of tea, which is perfectly fine. But other than that, let's go. After being the most watched Taiwanese film on Netflix, as well as the highest-grossing Taiwanese horror film of all time, Incantation has definitely made its mark as a new 2022 horror film to add to your watch list. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> This film was released in Taiwan back in March 18th, 2022, but has now gotten more international buzz after being distributed worldwide by Netflix on July 8th. Directed by Kevin Ko, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Chang Chiu Wei, Incantation follows a woman named Ronan who believes that her eight-year-old 
daughter, Dodo, has been cursed due to events that occurred six years ago. The film uses a found footage style in order to progress the story as Ronan directly involves the viewer to help her lift the curse by memorizing and chanting an incantation. So, JP, I know you have watched this horror movie. Bro, I am the only one in this room that has watched it. Brave enough. (laughs) The brave single soul of APN. (laughs) Yes, I'm very brave. How was it? How was it? Damn, it was good, man. It was spooky, as any spooky movie ought to be. Spooky in what way? Spooky in that it's found footage and it makes it like Mm. look a little more real, you know? Uh, like paranormal activity or kind like of like Blair that. Witch Project kind yeah, of yeah so, sort of like that like I'm pretty sure Blair Witch Project started that whole trend but yeah um, much of the movie is actually seen through like camera footage and stuff especially like camera footage taken by our main character Ronan camera footage taken by other characters that come up through the story and uh yeah yeah that's how it is it's spooky it's good <laughs> but what makes it spooky spooky well I mean it's the usual stuff you know dark corridors you know doors opening and closing by themselves and children talking to themselves going oh there's a baddie on the ceiling when there's like nothing there like i hate that the most uh, but that that happens a lot in the movie because uh, there is a little child in this film and she does a lot of creepy stuff so yeah oh that's that's um that's incantation like, what, wait what, what is the cause of the supernatural activity i might, might have missed that oh okay so i'll i'll tell you um basically what it is you have Ronan and she's gotten custody of her six-year-old daughter finally uh, but she gets haunted by a bunch of like things like just things start messing up around her life and apparently there was something that she did six years ago with a bunch of friends they broke a religious taboo somewhere in like the mountains of Taiwan uh, like in a really secluded village right and they worship this weird uh, deity and she did something bad and now she's screwed for the rest of her life um but yeah the way okay this film is very interesting in that it starts off in the modern day um you have her and her dealings with her daughter but throughout the film it actually makes quite a few cuts back to what she did uh six years ago so it kind of switches back and forth back and forth and like as the movie goes on the mystery slowly unravels and you realize oh wow something messed up really happened damn but yeah it was um it was a surprisingly I didn't really know what to expect when I first watched this movie and apparently this was like the first I guess Taiwanese found footage style film ever as well so I was like oh okay um let's see how it is and I watched it and it was really really well executed really well written very spooky but yeah I don't want to say too much because you know I don't want to spoil the whole mystery of it but yeah it's a it's a very cool film uh, I just want to point out that this this film did really really well in Taiwan one um before i guess getting netflix distribution and funnily oh. enough uh, i feel like taiwan's been on this wave lately where people are really get getting into like spooky stuff because they recently had a um an exhibition about ghosts going viral oh and like everyone was like just really they just really wanted to get in it became like an online sensation according to this random article i found oh on Taiwan news. Uh, Taiwan also has like a pretty interesting culture of like folk religions. Mm-hmm. So they just 
have like a ton of temples all throughout the country. Yeah, um, yeah. Worship various things, so it's like sort of embedded in the cultural psyche. This sort of spookiness, because yeah. when, I guess whenever you have a religion, there's always the underlying fear of going against that god. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Dude, religious know. horror is the best, dude. It's so spooky. Like, if there's one genre of horror that scares me the most, it's always religious horror in one way or another. Like, oh my god. I feel like Asians were just superstitious AF. Yeah, like, for real. Up, like next to a temple. Mm-hmm. And she's just super superstitious. Like she refuses to drive next to cemeteries and hospitals because they have too much like oh really energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Just, oh like, my god, shit. yeah, dude, every that messes that. me up. That totally messes me up. There is quite a lot of that in the film. So if you're into that sort of thing, please watch Incantation. It's really cool. Um, but I guess on the topic of I guess Asian horror in general, let me recommend um another film that's a little similar to this. It's a Japanese one. It's a little older and is called Noroi or the Curse in Japanese. It's um much like Incantation. It is also like a found footage style horror film and it is really really cool like the way they present certain events happening there's a real like big sense of realism to it like sometimes they throw in like footage of like tv shows of like ooh, look at these they're a bunch we've gathered a bunch of children we're gonna test uh you know their psychic abilities and like it's formatted as if it was like an actual japanese tv show so it's like oh my god did this actually happen or not like i can't tell um but yeah seriously asian horror super cool uh uh, please check it out. Just watch more Asian horror movies. They're super good. Yeah. Is Japanese horror still good at the moment? You know how there was like that peak with The Ring and... Yeah, yeah. That was like the big thing back then. Oh, but these days? I don't know. Have you seen any? No, I haven't really seen any um, horror, Japanese horror as of late that has like impressed me. Actually, I haven't seen any Japanese horror <laughs> recently anyway, so I wouldn't know. But I would say um, if you're... If you want to get into Asian horror, I definitely recommend um, looking into that time period of Japan around, you know, 2000. You know, you have The Ring, you have um, Pulse. That's also a very good one. Cairo, I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, and yeah, go for it. And watch a whole bunch of Southeast Asian horror movies. Yes. To me, they are the most terrifying out of the bunch. Really? Yes. Okay. I, I, hate, I hate all of them because I don't like horror, but... Really? <laughs> They're like in the peak horror. And it's like, oh, they scare me the most because it's like, God, it just reminds me of every story ever growing up in Malaysia of everyone just being like, my buff, my the toilets in my school are all haunted. And yeah, yeah, yeah. On a graveyard. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay. <gasps> but yes, yeah, Southeast God, those Asian are the absolute worst. Film, Southeast Asian films in general, quite good, very underrated. But the yes. horror ones specifically, they like nail it. I'm oh my god every day by them <laughs> all right everyone just just watch asian horror please just watch it it's so good it's Do too it. relatable, too relatable. <laughs> yeah basically that's it uh but anyway if you're planning to watch incantation i definitely recommend it uh, i hope you do find the time to watch it and if you're interested i guess in this sort of thing make sure to like try branch out try branch out into a bunch of other asian horror movies and let us know about your thoughts about incantation or any other horror films you may like at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. I definitely feel a lot more relieved hearing these three songs that we just played just now on Asian Pop Nation. Let's talk through them first. 
We first played the song titled Beautiful Monster by Stacy. We then played the song titled Madonna by Tuss Twins with Audrey Mikan before ending things off with the song titled World by Seventeen. And yeah, if you don't know why I was so relieved earlier, earlier in the show we were talking about a horror Taiwanese film and horror. It's not my cup of tea. I'll be very honest. And maybe if you're someone who's interested in the horror genre, be sure to check out our Asian Pop Nation podcast, available anywhere and everywhere you stream your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Where we have one of our team members, JP, talk a little bit more in depth about the film that we were talking about earlier called Incantation. But moving along, however, we're approaching a more light-hearted topic. We're going to be talking about Yuzuru Hanyu, and if you guys are familiar with the figure skating world, you definitely know what news is approaching. But if you're not so sure, let our APN team explain to you what exactly is going on right now in Yuzuru Hanyu figure skating world. Let- let's just go. If you've been around on the internet lately, you would have definitely been exposed to this news by now. Yes, we're gonna be talking about the one and only Yuzuru Hanyu, one of the most well-known ice skaters. But let's get into the details of what exactly happened. So on July 19, during a press conference in Tokyo, the two-time Olympic champion figure skater Yuzuru Hanyu announced his retirement. Ah, but fear not. It is only retirement from competitive figure skating. Yes, so this isn't actually like a full closing chapter to his ice skating career, since he did reveal that he's decided to go into professional figure skating instead. So although you won't see him like representing Japan in the Olympic stage anymore, he, in quotation, said he will no longer be confined to the realm of competitions anymore. So apparently, he made this final decision during the times of the recent Beijing Olympics that took place in February this year. And if you like keep up with skating, you might have known that he was already suffering injuries here and there. In a quote that I got, he said, "After the Beijing Olympics, when I got home, I couldn't skate because of the pain in the ankle. I thought about all kinds of things then, but I felt that I don't need to be on this stage forever." But he did also noted that he actually considered ending the competitive skating era of his after Pyeongchang back in 2018. But his goal of landing the quadruple axle jump kept him going. And I guess if you're one of those fans that's very curious of will he still live on that dream of trying to excel in that jump? Yes, he has stated that he still really wants to land that jump and. Still show it to everyone, but in a different stage this time, and not in a competitive area. Throwing it around the room, what do you guys think about this news? I know we don't have very big sports fans in general here, APN. If you listen to our past shows, like doing Olympics conversations in our old shows, we are not the most、oh. sporty people in the world. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? We're complete professionals. We're, We're professionals. Oh, sorry.、Yeah. Scratch that. Yeah, no, we're yeah. we're the best. Yeah, ice skating. You know, it's that thing where you know you go on the ice and you know you got the blades on your shoes. Yeah, and then like you <laughs> twirl around. Oh wait, you're talking about hockey? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh wait, there's a difference. Oh wait, but anyway, Leisha. So um, so this is good news for him, right? So it's taking pressure off his back. Yeah, I feel. But 
that's why I feel like a lot of fans of Yuzuru Hanyu, and he has a lot of fans, by the way. Oh, I'm um, sure. Yeah. yeah, he's very famous for a reason. I would say the general consensus is both people are not actually really sad about this. I think mm. people who are quite sad about it are people who have fallen to the journalism scheme of just reading <laughs> the headlines and just being like, retirement? Oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Xenia, for calling oh her. <laughs> She's not even here to defend herself. Oh, I feel like. Wait, I'm- but. but- but Alicia, when you say he's retiring from competitive figure skating, what's he doing now then? Just regular figure skating? I'm guessing when they mention professional figure skating, which is what uh-huh. he's doing instead, he will do more like shows and stuff. Those oh, wow. You know, I completely forgot you could do that. Because, you know, when... <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he said, you know, oh, I'm retiring from competitive figure skating, like, wait, how do you make money from that? <laughs> How do you make money from just figure skating? Like, I don't get it. But I realize, oh, yeah, people like watching that. People like watching, shows. yeah. There's yeah. a lot of shows. And again, he's a very big fan. It's like worldwide, but especially in Japan, he is considered one of their pride and joy, like athletes. Oh, there. Yeah. He apparently received the People's Honors Award, which is apparently the highest award awarded to a civilian in Japan. Whoa, no way. Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> crazy in the best him. way possible. Uh, Imagine being that loved. Can't believe it. Yeah, can't oh relate. God. <laughs> can't relate. I can't relate. Imagine <laughs> the whole world just loving your existence. <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> oh, okay. No, but yeah, that's what it means. So the main difference is that, yeah, you won't see him competing in like the world competitions and winning those competitions in order to like qualify for like the olympics and then competing in olympics yeah you will not see him in those like environments anymore which oh, is i see where i guess most fans they are actually like pretty happy about that because if you watch the beijing olympics that happened last time he put out a great performance by the way very great performance but you can mm-hmm. definitely see that like a lot of his injuries that like, he already got before the olympics and probably also during the olympics you know training for it and stuff like that and things you could definitely see it was like warning out his like body and everything oh, you know? yeah, yeah. so i think overall for me personally i, I i'm not yuzuru hanyu fan club leader number one but like <laughs> i would say overall this is like this is like pretty good news and he can still continue skating and like his fans obviously will all still want to come and see him perform because he's a fantastic skater in general oh my god Mm. watch his videos online he's insane but yeah that's my like (laughs) my opinion about it yeah competitively ice skating must be the easiest thing to quit from Oh, competitive sense because like imagine uh, like quitting i guess sprinting athletic sprinting in a competitive sense like how do you make money out of that i guess past that point okay yeah, okay. Just I, I, I see what you think i was like in my head when you're asking it, i was like what's he what is he thinking uh, maybe about? maybe like rubbing banks rubbing you can make banks. you can make a living through that because you know Excuse you run me. fast you know like imagine if usain bolt like you know retired and he went okay i'm just gonna rub banks for the rest of my life he could make a good living out of that you can do like, like no one could catch him. Fun marathons where you like dress up in impractical costumes or whatever. Oh yeah, but then still, how do you make a living off of that? You, know, you door knock and you say, "I'm running twenty k's. Will you please sponsor me?" And if you're saying what people will say yes. Oh yeah. I don't know. Like, how do you monetize running? That's no, I think you can't. You just, you just become an advertising model, right? You just like soft drink companies and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Oh, soft drinks and sportswear and stuff like that. 
and you're just wow. in running pose in all the advertisement shots. Yeah, that uh-huh. works. <laughs> so I guess to our listeners, let us know what you think about this particular news in the figure skating world. Are you a big Yuzuru Hanyu fan? Um, does this kind of like, are you kind of on my spectrum where you're kind of like happy and joyful about this or do you still think like oh i wish you would still be in like the olympic stages for the next few years i don't know let us know what your all your opinions are true asian pop nation on our facebook twitter and instagram and watch me be in one of his shows in the future i want to be the audience member just awing at his skating expertise he's amazing watch all his videos yes that's my final message <laughs> Hello, hello, everyone. You are tuning in to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. How are you guys doing right now? Um, before you answer me with that question, let's talk through these songs that we just played earlier in the show. We first played the song titled Miss You by Leighton Wu, before moving along with a new collaboration song of a song that's already existed prior. Let's not think too in-depth about that. We have the song titled Better, the Chinese version by Boa featuring Xing. Not featuring, it's Boa X Xing as well. It's a joint collaboration track. And lastly, we played the song titled Hollywood by Cecilia Galt with Asian Tick Wave. Now, I think Hollywood, definitely a very appropriate title since we are approaching this very interesting topic that APN wanted to delve into a little bit deeper as one of our team members, Ethan, found this article by John Cho, which was detailing his like general history in the Hollywood world. But it also goes a little bit more in depth, slightly more in depth than we expected, actually, that we are going to be talking about it right now. So recently, there was an interview that came out that was released by The Guardian um, on the 17th of July with actor John Cho in the spotlight. In the article, he talked a lot about his filmography um, and he made a lot of statements about Asian representation and what it means to be Asian in a Western country like America. It was quite a loaded topic um, that he talked about in the article and we likely won't get to everything that he talked about, but we just wanted to kind of dissect a little bit about some of the main things that he had and the main arguments he had to say about Asian representation in general. So the first thing that he talked about was more generally about Asian representation in Hollywood films, uh, in particular as romantic love interests. So he also addressed the fact that this would likely change from his generation and, you know, the current generation, the current younger generation. And I think we definitely see that a lot more when you look at films like Crazy Rich Asians, um, especially with kind of the popularity of Henry Golding and him being in other movies like Jane Austen movie recently with um, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, listen, man, um, Asian guys are pretty hot, man. And I think more and more people are coming to, uh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they're coming around to it, man. Yeah, especially like in the past yeah. five years, like maybe in, like five years ago, broaching this topic would have been like, whoa, food for thought. But now I think it's like pretty well-worn territory. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that um, like Asian media in general has become uh, more popular within the Western sphere, like everyone's everyone's discovering hot Asian men now. So I think th- things are going for a good in a good direction for us, Ethan. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I just got way too fast in the way to go. <laughs> what is this supposed to mean? <laughs> I have I have listened to interviews with like male celebrity Asians, male celebrities, and they're like, you know what? Like ever since K-pop became big, I've gone like approached more, and I'm like, 
wow, they're this capable, like big ups to them for like um not indoctrinating, converting. <laughs> not, not the right converting. converting. Spreading <laughs> spreading the good word. Spreading the good word. Oh yeah. Asian man is romantic. Yes. Um, um K pop people, please keep that up. Um I'm benefiting from this. <laughs> I feel like the representation from something as specific as K-pop or even from like anime, they have a very specific like, like character trope, I guess. Oh yeah, for so sure. It's a very specific representation that is arguably not realistic. It's not sense. realistic at all. It is a fictional projection of like but a damn is it fun. <laughs> of masculinity. Oh, it'll branch out for sure. Yeah, I think it's better. Yeah. It's good because then we, it's a stepping stone towards branching out and. Like, I know people talk about Hollywood as being not accurate representation, but at least with some diversity there in terms of what um, an Asian, you know, an Asian might look like in a Western country like America or Australia. What yeah. else did he talk about, though, this John Cho cool. fella? Um, yeah, so the next thing, this is actually what we touched on in terms of racism and kind of mm-hmm. labeling. Um, John Cho himself had a very nuanced opinion about the use of slogans in social media, especially when you use that to make discussions around the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes, um, especially in the last few years. So a quote from him, he said that, right now our discourse has become very slogan-based, and I often feel like it sounds good, but it doesn't completely work because it's simplified too much to the point that you can't really apply it and that it's not useful anymore. Um, He also goes on to talk about how to really understand the problem at hand, you have to dissect it and kind of sit down and talk about what are the root causes behind this problem. He says, is it the non-recognition of our humanity? Is it scapegoating? Um, It's some combination of those things. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was a really interesting take because it's not something that a lot of um, people in the spotlight would say, especially when it comes to, you know, race-related issues in America. What did you guys think? Yeah, and also the fact that the article literally ends by the publicist being like, we're out of time, no more talking, he said too much already. But yeah, this is a really interesting quote because it is something, he's put it far more eloquently than I ever could have. Mm. And it is something I do believe as well. Like, slogans are great and all, but often it's way easier to retweet a slogan, slap a slogan on something, than to actually examine um, the beliefs. actual problem, right? Yeah, yeah. and you're the actual problem and how you perceive things. Because it's really hard to change the way you think, usually. Like, it's really, it takes a lot of effort. You have to stop yourself and you have to consciously dismantle your own belief systems. It's so, literally, it's, that's literally terrifying, dude. Imagine, in, imagine learning that everything you knew was wrong. Like, how are you supposed to live? <laughs> how are you supposed to live? <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Slogans, they're difficult because they're, um, they're almost so simple. They take on a life of their own. No. So, yeah, yeah. And people often like people who were let's say the Black Lives Matter thing. Mm-hmm. That slogan, I'm gonna be very careful here. That oh, slogan yeah. was about the fact that Black Lives Matter, but then the response to that was all lives matter. Oh yeah. So you have it, to be careful to yeah. how you pick your slogans because people who get pissed off by you um slogan by your sloganeering will construct like weird scapegoats that they rally against. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I guess, the effect of slogans. It creates, like, a central point that people can, I don't know, um, use to... Uh, <laughs> to, to very easy. They seem very easy. They seem very easy to misrepresent, as far as I can see. Yeah. Good word, misrepresent. Yeah, that's how it is. You know, we should get Chantro on this show. <laughs> you know, expand on these questions. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ring him up. up. Yeah, go... Yes, please, Aaron. Yeah. Are you in your, <laughs> in your contacts right now, right? Yeah. I do want to say one small thing, I guess. Yes. 
So one thing in particular that I do like that he brought up is especially with the like stop Asian hate hashtag that um, I guess still has been going around um, is the fact that how other people who are non-Asian um, it is easy for them to see that hashtag and then feel like they they're like I don't know they feel like they are I don't know they feel like they've done enough like the activism because they're just like oh yeah no I don't hate Asian people so that's like all good and John Joe literally says it he's like oh there's a component of hate but it's really easy for people to say I don't hate Asian so it's not my problem oh easy no satisfaction problem. easy but, satisfaction yeah. right? mm. and then like on one hand like again yes the slogan and the slogan especially came up due to all the anti anti-Asian hate crimes that were happening during the pandemic and those were like direct violence against like elder Asians especially living in western countries um but also like that hashtag has since also it encompasses so much more about just like uh like how Asians are treated like just in general in like western countries and stuff like that and before non-Asians they see that hashtag and they're like okay I don't hate Asian people so like my activism for today is like check where it's like there again there's so much nuances using big big fancy words here <laughs> there's so much like nuances to the thing that this one simple hashtag doesn't fully encompass so um i also do like that he just brings that up because again the statement just stop asian hate for non-asian people is very easy for them to just be like yeah like i don't hate asian people they let yeah, us i off. didn't push over any elderly asians on my way to work today yeah, exactly, exactly. But And then they might not actually take the time to, like, really think through and, like, you know, what are, like, some subconscious, like, unconscious biases that they may have against, like, Asian people and stuff like that, for example. So that was a very heavy topic, I guess, on the Asian representation and the response to racism, I suppose, in Western countries like America. I thought it was an interesting thing about what John Cho had to say and clearly from the response that everyone else on the show has, it is a very nuanced topic that requires a lot more discussion um, in the media, a lot more nuanced discussion rather than simplifying things down into, you know, s you know, one word root causes. Um, yeah. So if you have anything to say about this, any nuanced opinions that you'd like to send us um, lengthy essays about in the comments below, you can send it to us over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian pop nation. And also if you happen to be in contact with John Cho, um, you know, call him up. You know, we want him on the show. You know, yeah, let's talk about it. Find our email. It's <laughs> all over. <laughs> hey, you're listening to Sin's flagship show, Asian Pop Nation. My name is Leisha, and welcome to our little show here. Let's talk to you the three songs that we played just now. We first played the song titled I Like Myself When I'm With You by Bilkin, before moving along with the song titled Rubik by Indonesian female artist Didi, which comes from her debut album Rubik. And lastly, we played a song coming from Filipino-Australian artist Je Jess Connell with her song titled Never. Now for fans of Korean variety shows and just television shows in general, this news that we're going to be talking about next may come off as a little bit heartbreaking and maybe something that you just never thought would have happened. Yes, we're going to be talking about the end of a very, very popular television show called Sketchbook. And I think this is the perfect time to hand it over to APNT member Tracy to talk more in depth about the history of Sketchbook and how th this news even came to be because it was a bit of a heartbreaking one. So take it away, Tracy. Uh, it seems like we have reached a point in the show where we are just talking discourse well. Um, in this segment, we're going to be talking about 
the iconic show You Heal Sketchbook, as well as the iconic host of the show You Heal, as well as the very the very iconic Japanese composer, um, singer, pop icon Ruchi Sakamoto, and then also the um, um, infamous legion of people known as Knetizens, Knets. Um, anyway, so we are reporting the sad news that the iconic You Heal sketchbook show will be wrapping up after 600 episodes with its last show being filmed on July the 19th, which is two days ago as of the time of this recording. The program is, has, is a sort of talk and music format show that has aired continuously for 13 years since April 2009, and it's a veritable cultural institution. Well, Similar shows have existed in the past on KBS, the channel, um, including Yoon Do-hyun's Love Letter from 2002 to 2008, and Lee Sora's Proposal from 1996 to 2002. Sketchbook is by far the longest-running program with this sort of format, and it's synonymous with live performance, and it's loosely scripted banter and hijinks. To give you an idea of how long ago, how long Sketchbook has been running for, in 2009, which is when Sketchbook started, Girls' Generation released G, and Super Junior released Sorry Sorry. So this is a show that has really seen the rise of the whole How You Wave. Um, and it's definitely a show that's synonymous with the whole How You Wave because it has a lot of clout. It's quite a popular show. And so going on the show is seen as milestone for K-pop acts. Um, K-pop, acts uh, K-pop fans will often brag about their idols going on the show because going on the show is seen as proof that they can sing live and that they are respected and legitimate artists in Korea. So there were, um, upon sketch this announcement hitting our social media feeds, there was a lot of mourning from fans of K-pop art, art, uh, acts who have already been on the show, as well as K-pop acts of uh, K-pop fans of up and coming artists. Um, you know, mourning the fact that their faves would never be legitimized by an appearance on this show. Um, the show is wrapping up due to its host Yu Hyo stepping down from hosting duties. Um, there is no news so far on whether or not his, the show is going to be completely revamped or they're just going to, I don't know, <laughs> discard it forever and just not make any similar show. But I really hope this show actually has continuation. I feel like their bread and butter is uh, making indie musicians better known um, through appearances on the show because it's such a respected show. And its host, Yu Hill, is an enormously respected person. He came to fame. He came to public attention as a songwriter in, I think, the 90s. Um, he penned several like really big hits in Korea, and then he became a radio DJ for, I think, like 10 years, and that led to him hosting the show for 13 years. And he is definitely one of the most like, like well-known MCs and television personalities in Korea, up there with like Yu Jae-suk. So it's kind of astonishing that the reason why he is stepping away from the show is because his reputation has been massively um, besmirched, undermined, undermined his ability. Or tarnished. Tarnished, yes, yeah. by a plagiarism alleged plagiarism scandal oh which is kind of spicy wait who did he plagiarize like a certain artist or like just whoever he's been accused of plagiarizing Rishi sakamoto oh as this really started with um one of yuhil's uh, piano pieces very private night which he released um recently being very similar to sakamoto's 1999 song uh, song piece mm-hmm. piano performance aqua Oh, um, so that's what because the, these two songs do sound quite similar at parts, but then people went through his back catalogue and they started like matching up 
Yuhil songs to Rishi Sakamoto songs. Mm-hmm. It's like, these songs sound really similar as well. And then they started getting like like getting like a lot of um other Japanese acts and just being like, oh, Yuhil has plagiarized every single song that he's ever written. Oh my god. Um, which I don't think is the entire truth. I think this is definitely like a bit of a, f- a media frenzy, not media frenzy, a bit of an online frenzy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> the reason why it's gone so big is because Yuhil is such a well-known iconic sort of figure in television and also the fact that he has built his entire reputation and brand around being a very respected songwriter and musician mm-hmm. and i think also the fact that um the artists he's being accused of plagiarizing are so big as well like ruchi sakamoto he's a big he's a big japanese artist so but damn i don't know that's thing. serious yeah it's pretty serious um mm-hmm. the funny thing about this is that ruchi sakamoto mm-hmm. um hasn't like press charged or is there anything he's actually defended you feel he's been very oh really yeah, very chill with it. Uh, huh. He doesn't think he's been very gracious in this whole thing. He's like, "Oh wow, he's my fan. Nice, pretty much." <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, like after Yuhiro issued his first apology, um, saying basically offering his sincerest apologies for his failure in thoroughly examining the piece mm-hmm. and apologizing to teacher Ruchi Sakamoto for causing an issue, Ruchi Sakamoto um, responded with a statement saying. The music has similarities, but I don't think it is on the level of requiring of require, requiring any legal actions to protect my piece, Aqua. I can see his great respect for my composition, and I have some pieces that have obvious strong influences from Bach and Debussy, whom I love, respect, and have learned a lot from. I don't mm. mean to put myself on the same level as them, so please don't get me wrong. And this is probably the most important part. He says that every creation is influenced by existing arts in the public domain. Mm. And... It would be great and appreciated if you could put five to ten percent of your originality into it. So he sort of sees um, similarity to previous songs, similarities to your interest, to uh, of, to your inspiration being a sort of inevitable part of the creative process. Mm. And he also says, um, "I am trying to my best to raise my originality percentage on every music on every piece I create, which is challenging, but that makes the art beautiful." I think. Thank you, Mister. Yuhio and my fans generous. But yeah, and then he thanks Yuhio for his um, support because Yuhio is like a long-term fan of Rishi Sakamoto and has said so many times on his radio shows. So the uh. reason why all these fans have like pointed out the similarities between Yuhio's stuff and Rishi Sakamoto's stuff is because they have listened to his shows where he's shouted out, hey, I really like this piece. And they've listened to that and been like, hey, this sounds a lot like your piece. When I first read about this, I thought this scandal was like a flash in the pan sort of plagiar- like month a scandal of the month kind of thing that would blow over really quickly but the more i read into it the more i think it's going to have a sort of damaging impact on Yuko in the long term and possibly his company antenna well it's enough that he's stepping down from yeah. the show yeah it seems okay. like such a huge blow to like the k wave and you know how like a while ago we were like oh bts ending um some people would like say would hold the hell you wave well i feel like sketchbook ending mm-hmm. is a pretty big deal um in that it's so well respected and Damn. Well, hopefully that show doesn't go under. You know, hopefully that some like it somehow. Yeah, hopefully it gets continued with those yeah. like I don't know. People are saying like are you people Eric Nam. You know, people are just throwing names around. I think it's gonna be like uh, someone like Lee Jae Hyung. Lee Jae Hyung is probably likely as a new host or Lee Juk, or um. There's a lot of some similar respected figures, but it's going to be a bit of a blow because Yukio is just so extremely respected and well known in Korea. If you're feeling sad about this, like us, um, I don't know. Rewatch your favorite episode on youtube um until next time i guess maybe tweet us or instagram message us your favorite suggestions for new hosts for this type of format 
on Asian Pop Nation. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hello to all of our listeners listening to Asia Pop Nation right now. Whether you are one of our live on-air listeners or you're listening to our podcast, hello to everyone. My name is Lisa, the executive producer of Asian Pop Nation. And before we have our own little chit chat session, let's talk to the three songs that we played just now. We first played the song titled "Love" by Korean girl group Weekly, which is actually a remake of the Brown Eyed Girl song, which is also titled "Love." We then also played. The song titled "Kasan Patama" by Arhito Parmono, featuring Gusti Irwan Wiboyo from his debut album "Wijaya Kusuma." And lastly, we played the latest single to come out of Thai Italian artist Valentina Ploy with her song titled "Camera Rolled," a very much slower track, which I think perfectly. Signals to some of our listeners that we've definitely reached the end of our show tonight. Oh man, it's, it's always sad when we're reaching the end of the show because it's like we could just keep playing more songs, we could just keep talking all night, but、uh, all good things must come to an end, as that famous phrasing goes. But yes, let's talk through all of the topics that we've talked through tonight with our APN team. We first talked a lot about. An interesting interview article that came out from actor John Cho in regards to Asian representation and just, I guess, the general discourse that goes around with slogans in particular.、It、was a very nice in-depth conversation that we had. We also had JP do a little review of the latest Taiwan horror film to sweep the nation, if you will, called Incantation. We also had a quite a handful of discussions regarding food, as we always do here on APN. The food topics never leave us. About an unmelting ice cream, as well as Filipino food being served in IKEA. Stores in the UAE. Very fun and very interesting collaboration moment. And of course, we had so many more other topics sprinkled here and there. If you're just tuning into our show live right now and you want to listen to some of these topics or maybe some of the secret topics I didn't mention, you can of course check out our Asian Foundation podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And of course, don't forget we also have Asian Pop Nation social media, which you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have a little link tree there, which you can click on the little bio, and it shows you literally everything that we have here in APN, which our team have worked really hard on. So be sure to check all of these out. And yeah, thank you so much for joining our show tonight. With not just myself, of course, but with our APN team of JP, Tracy, Zenia, Ethan, Lee, and Aaron tonight. And I guess on that part, good night, everyone. But of course, why did I say good night when we're not even introducing the final few songs we're going to be playing tonight? Starting first with the song called "Skip Bottom" by Roy Yuhan, featuring Blas. Once again, I think this is the perfect time where I can now say thank you so much for listening to our show here on Asian Pop Nation, and good night, everyone.